Sherm Chester along with Sam Bruno and from the Union Leader and NewHampshireFootballReport.com and New Hampshire Hardball, Roger Brown. Welcome, gentlemen, to uh, the day after, well, not the day after, but the, the few days after the big event, the big game, the Super Bowl. How did you guys do? And what'd you think of it? Well, I'll start off, Sherm. Uh, you know, I was, a, you know, again, I still hate the two-week buildup. I just can't stand two weeks of hype and two weeks of stories and two weeks of everything there. It's just, it's just too, too long for me. So uh, I try to stay away from it until a couple of days before, but a couple of days before I, I went to my, my informed sources, so to speak about, about, about how this game is going to play out. And after uh, much consideration, uh, I basically said to myself, three things are going to happen. Philadelphia needs to control the ball and keep the Kansas City offense off the field. Check. Happened in the first half. It's great. The defensive line from Philadelphia is going to give Mahomes fits. Didn't happen. The offensive line for Kansas City did a great job, and it neutralized the Philadelphia defensive line. And third, I said to myself, I think Philadelphia is a team of destiny. I think they're, they're cocky. I think, uh, I think they're going to come in with a lot of excitement. and. Uh, Second half, they just played flat, and Sirianni got outcoached in the second half by Andy Reid. Right. I agree. What about you, Raj? Yeah, I agree, too. Uh, I, I The Philadelphia defense didn't really show up, either that or they were really overrated. Um, I agree with Sam on the, the point about Reid outcoaching Sirianni. I mean, it was a couple of those touchdowns, you know, they didn't even look like they had professional coaching on defense, you know, and uh, you mentioned the offensive line, you know, I know it's not a sexy position, but really, you know, if you want to win games, that's where it's at. Your offensive line has to control people uh, up front across from them. And Kansas city did that. I just, you know, I thought Philly's defense would, was going to play better. I thought both defenses were going to play better to be honest with you. Um, but it was a, you know, very entertaining game. Well, two things they brought out uh, that were controversial after the fact. Well, one was the play at the towards the end of the game, the holding call on the Eagle. Uh, it looked like he was basically trying to get his balance and leaned into the guy. He wasn't grabbing the guy, but he was called for, for interference. So that uh, allowed Kansas City to just eat the clock and uh, go for that with that game-winning field goal. Uh, that was one. And then the other was the field conditions. I guess since that is outdoor turf or it's it's a grass surface and with the paint they put on for all the logos and all this stuff that goes on for the Super Bowl, it was a slippery, messy track. So what do you think about that, Sam? And then uh, Rog throw in. Well, I would think that Roger Goodell needs to step in ahead of time and, and, and put a little bit more emphasis on that because that really slowed down the game considerably. I know they scored over 70 points, but I think there were some key defensive situations that uh, could have happened. I think that's why the offense scored so much. I think uh, the offense knows where they're going and the defense uh, had to be a little bit slow. So I think, uh, I think, uh, Goodell needs to step in, but I don't think they'll have the problem like that at a, at a Legion field when the teams go to Las Vegas next year. Uh, I, you know, I know they spent a lot of money. I guess they spend like almost a million dollars on that turf. So there's really no excuse for it not being, uh, you know, ready to go for a big game. 
I, I, I've always found it curious. I know everybody loves the halftime show, but the, you know, the biggest football game of the year, they let all kinds of people run around on the field at halftime. I, I've always wondered what effect that has on it. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, turf field, it doesn't matter, of course, but when you have grass, you got all these stanchions and whatnot being set up quickly. So if it was up to me, we'd play the Super Bowl outdoors on grass every year. So I hope they, I hope they get it. Uh, they find an answer. The thing with that holding call was, I'll ask again, both of you, do you think that was the right call at the end of the game? From the views that I saw, uh, I, I didn't see, it didn't look to me like he impeded the receiver. Uh, if he did, I'm fine with the call. But from the from what I saw, you know, it didn't look like it had an effect on the play, so I wouldn't call it. I, I'm not one of those people that says, you know, you, you stop blowing the whistle late in the game. If, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. Uh, that's the way I see it. But it, it's got to have an impact on the play. Um, so from what I saw, I probably would have preferred no penalty there. I think that was a makeup call. And what I mean by that is earlier in the game, earlier in the first half, the same two players got entangled down the field and it wasn't called. And both coach, uh, uh, the Kansas city coaches were going really mad on the, on the, on the referee for not calling it. So those same two players hooked up with a minute, 54 seconds left to go and they called it. And so I think there was a little bit of a hook there, but uh, you know, I, you know, who, who's to say that, you know, Philly gets the ball back and they don't get back and get that tying field goal. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't know. So, uh, you know, again, Philadelphia had lost that game in the second half. Although I, I, I do have to give Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts credit. I mean, when Kansas City went up by seven, I thought, uh, I thought Philadelphia was dead. And then they came right back down and got that tying touchdown and the two-point conversion, which I thought was impressive. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up was the really minor thing about the whole Super Bowl situation. What do you guys think about those quarterback sneaks? They do it well. <laughs> I, I would be against the push from behind. You know, that was always uh, against the rules until recently. And I think my guess is they'll probably going to change the rule before next season. I don't think there's any way to stop it. You know, once you get three or four guys behind the quarterback pushing, I mean, that that can't be stopped. So uh, I, I agree with you, Roger. There's, there's got to be some uh, legislation coming down the road that uh, that has to be that has to be taken care of. And I think back to the holding call, one thing that might help in the future is if they just kind of relax the rules on the defensive backs a little bit. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm not saying you need, you're, you should be allowed to grab a Jersey or anything, but I mean, it's so one side, it's almost like the quarterback, you know, roughing the quarterback, you can't breathe on them. And it's the same thing with wide receivers. You, you really can't do much. If they had allowed a little physical play, and if it got too far, then you'd throw the flag. I think a lot of these calls wouldn't be as questionable. I agree. Hands on each other when both players are going down the field. I have no problem with. The problem that I have is the holding, you know, grabbing, actually grabbing a body part. And secondly, sure. secondly, the hook. You know, when you hook somebody like that, they can't regain their balance or where they're going to get the ball. So I think there you're impeding the receiver, and that's pass interference uh, in that situation. I want to wrap this Super Bowl segment up with congrats to Coach Bill Taylor, who was with me on the last podcast, and he said exactly that, that Andy Reid's experience would, would 
rule, and it did. And uh, being a, a rookie coach in a big environment, a big fishbowl like that, you know, it's 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 going to get to you, and it did in this case with the Sirianni. So, uh, hey, who knows? Maybe it'd be a matchup again next year. We'll we shall see. But Buffalo and Cincinnati, I, I'm still hoping one of those two will be in there next year. Well, one quick other thing, sure. My biggest takeaway from the whole game was this what is a catch and what is not a catch has got to go away. Oh, my God. And I'm not saying it was the wrong call by the letter of the rule, but the second defensive touchdown that Kansas City scored, by by the rule as it's written, it was the correct call. But that just has to be changed. I mean, the player secured the ball. He could have literally stood still for a minute and then had the ball knocked free from him, and they wouldn't have called it a fumble because he didn't make a football move or take three steps or what have you. I mean, it's not a hard rule to change. You know, once you possess the ball, like I always say, we know what the catch is in sixth grade, grade playground. You know, the NFL has just got to dumb it down. I mean, it just takes away so much of the game. And one other thing I do want to mention, uh, congratulations to Coach Taylor again. He, he picked Kansas City. Well, I did too. And we both had the, the score right. I, I didn't I didn't have the 27 and 24 was his pick. I said it would probably be a little higher, but we both went with a three-point win. So <laughs> congrats to the coach. <laughs> now, the other winner uh, in the Super Bowl, uh, well, depending upon how you look at it, they all those advertisements, I don't know if you guys paid any attention to any of them, but the big winner was the Farmer's Dog Dog Food. I think that's what it's called. Uh, one of the sentimental, as I like to call them, schmooey-type commercials where the dog grows with the with the young lady and eventually becomes part of her adult family uh that was the number one overall winner but the the one that got the most uh, nods locally of course was ben affleck and j-lo so what, what was your take on the commercials and did you have a favorite well when i went to the duncan's drive through this morning on monday morning i was looking for ben and he wasn't there so i was really disappointed oh but did a guy yell at you <laughs> No, I think I my favorite commercial was the Sam Adams Boston commercial with the with the two people. Oh no, I'll take that parking spot. No, you have it. You know, I thought I thought that was I thought I thought that was pretty good. What about you, Roger? Any any favorite? Yeah, I think it was Tubi, the one with the rabbits dragging the uh the putting the kids in the rabbit hole, right? Yeah, that was that was that was the one that stood out for me. I agree. I thought my TV went fluey when the uh, Tubi uh, commercial came on, and it switched to it switched to something else. I thought I thought the cable went bad. Yeah, my wife said, "What'd you do? Sit on the remote?" <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let, let's just let's just hold on for a second. I mean, we're not gonna t- we're not gonna talk about Rihanna at all. No, <laughs> <laughs> I ate during the halftime show, so I couldn't tell you. All I, to, all I tell you is I eat too much, too many sweets. All sweets, no savory. Well, the next morning it was like, whoa, ooh. yeah, I, I had a sweet, sweets hangover. That's what it was. No, no imbibing, just too many sweets. Ooh, you know. But I know I ate during the halftime, so I couldn't tell you what she. I know she had a big red raincoat or puffy something or other on, right? What about you, Roger? Did you watch it or did you eat during it? I watched it. I'm usually not impressed with the halftime show whatsoever. I don't. I think people go overboard with it and. Uh, I actually like Rihanna's songs, but I was disappointed in the uh, halftime show. Well, it's good to know that we're all going to be wearing those white moon men suits in the future. Everybody's going to be wearing those as we walk around outside from now on. Two weeks away from March Madness, 
And let's start off with the high school stuff. Um, Sam, have you got some idea of what's going on with the boys, the girls? Well, Sherm, you, uh, you, you get to watch all the uh, boys' basketball games for the Blue Hawks, and right now they're right in the thick of things. They're at 10-4 and four on the season. Uh, they're currently in sixth place, and uh, there's a three-way tie for the top spot now. Uh, Pinkerton, Bedford, and Nashua North all at 14-1 and one with uh, Bedford scoring that big win over Pinkerton the other day. Uh, Roger, did you get to take in that contest? Yeah, I was there, Sam. Uh, that one was interesting for a lot of reasons. I thought <clears throat> coming in, I thought Pinkerton had the uh, edge and would win uh, basically because of their size and their um, – I thought they would – uh, out-rebound Bedford, but uh, Bedford played harder. They looked like they wanted it more. And, you know, they handled Jackson Marshall about as best as you can. Nobody's had an answer for him, but they really smothered him when he got the ball down low. Um, you know, he got his points there, but, uh, you know, it wasn't anything. Uh, I think he ended up with 22 points or something. And, you know, he's going to do a certain amount of damage, but, um, yeah, I was very impressed with Bedford and I, I was somebody who thought it was Pinkerton and everybody else. And that game forced me to rethink obviously. And, you know, I, I think they gave, not that everybody has Bedford's talent, but they gave a little bit of a blueprint on how to defend Marshall and, and maybe, uh, give some teams a, a better opportunity to upset Pinkerton in the postseason. Sure. I mean, uh... The, the, the teams behind those top three teams, uh, Girton, Nashua South, Winnicunit, Wintam, Trinity, and Portsmouth, Who, who's the best of that group? The team that I'm really kind of happy to see up into the rankings, I know Nashua North has been dominant, but now Nashua South is having a good season. Uh, one of our old coaches, Nate Maserol, has uh, got a, a decent team, so uh, I, I'm happy to see them in the mix. Um, I think those top teams you just mentioned – it's and the one that's interesting that's trying to claw its way back in is the defending champion Trinity. Now, Roger, I mean they they I'm looking at the schedules and they should be able to to run the table for the rest of the season. Tell me about what's going on up in Trinity. Are they are they going to come bouncing back and take and defend their title or what? Well, I don't think they're the team they were last year. Sure, and they had a lot of players transfer. Um, you know, one of their top players is at West. They had another one transfer to Manchester central, but they still have, you know, probably if not the best player in the state, certainly uh, he's close. And that's Tyler bike, the point guard. Um, and because he distributes so well, plus he can score himself. I, I, you know, I wouldn't rule them out against anybody. That's, that's certainly a team that I still would not want to play you know, they're not the favorite like they were last year or among them, but still a very dangerous team. So right now you've got Pinkerton, Bedford, and Nashville North kind of fighting for that top spot. If it ended today, if today was the last game, who who gets the, the top nod? And, and, and the no bottom? idea. You go, go to the MHIA and try and <laughs> decipher that. Good luck. <laughs> well, they all three at this point. Uh, I'm just checking the standings here. All three. I think they've all beaten each other, right? Yeah, and they all have the same points and whatever. So it's going to be interesting to see how that's determined. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's in there. It's probably road victories or something like that. Okay. Uh, but do we know who gets the buy? Is it one buy or two buys or how, how many? How many teams are involved? Do we know that even? 
Well, that's another good question, Jim. I was that was on my to do list today. Is make sure I I figured out how many teams make it in each division and how many buys. Okay. Um. So, I I should have done that. I didn't prepare well enough, but yeah, well, uh, I, that's on the website as well. You can figure it out. The tournament begins on March first. Right, March first is the first round at the home of the higher seed. And it looks like the Blue Hawks at 10 and four right now with four games left. Right. If they split those and go, you know, 12 and six, they will probably host. They'll probably be in the top eight and get one of those, right. one of those home games. The other thing I would do uh, mention about the girls basketball, you, you cover the, the ladies. So what, uh, what's, what's happening there, Sam? Well, for the Blue Hawk girls, they've got a big week coming up this week. Um, they are at nine and four right now, and they sit in uh, sixth place. Uh, Bishop Girton is number one, 14 and 0, and they'll, they'll probably go undefeated. Uh, Bedford uh, and is th- uh, 14 and one. The Portsmouth Clippers are having a great season. Uh, they're at 13 and one. Pinkerton, Goffstown, and then the Blue Hawks. But I said this week's a big week because one of the rare weeks that you have three games in a week, they play on the 14th against Spalding, which uh, is a pretty good team. They play on Thursday at Nashua North and Nashua North is winless this season. Uh, and then they come back for senior night uh, at Exeter High School against Manchester Memorial on Friday night. So this is a big week. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly they want to go at least two and one. Uh, three and zero would be great, but uh, uh, it's going to be a big week for the Blue Hawk girls. I was talking to our friend Mike Murphy uh, over at UNH, and uh, we're all set for the big showdown. It'll be a Division One and Division Two boys and girls on the twelfth, sun- Sunday the twelfth, Sunday March twelfth. That's right, and uh, we'll be uh, there, and and it'll be a fun day, a lot of action, and uh, but we've got a long ways to get there, and uh, I think. In, in particular with the, the local teams that are involved, it's, it's the health of the teams. Hopefully, as we get to the playoffs, everybody's healthy. So keep our fingers crossed. I think in the girls' side, too, just quickly, uh, Bedford it plays BG Friday. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, I don't have the standings in front of me. I, I think if Bedford upsets them, we're going to have a three-way tie at the top of the girls' division one standings as well. Um, again, that, that, that will determine if Ports, Portsmouth has played one less game. So there's an issue there. Okay. So, so again, I think if they end up the same record, they've all beaten each other as well. If, if Bedford does win that game Friday. So, so again, again, when you talk to the powers that be, uh, the rating system, if a team does not play an 18 game schedule, uh, how is that going to affect everything if they don't fit in all their games? Yeah. One thing I learned too, that I don't understand is, uh, if you play a team, this doesn't apply to division one, but if you play a team in a lower division, I don't understand why that counts just as much as a team in your division. Uh, discovered that with our friend Dave Morissette over in St. Thomas this week, he played a division four team to end the season and it was worth just as many points as if they had beaten the division three team. So. Well, you brought it up. I just want to ask you now, we've been concentrating on division one ball for boys and girls what about uh, the other divisions some of the other contenders going into uh, especially in division two since we'll be seeing them over at lundholm on the 12th of march well division two boys you literally have you know six or seven teams um that's probably the most wide open division of any of them uh you know west laconia sauhegan pelham um uh, 
you know, I'm probably forgetting some people, Pembroke, then there's more. Um, I think Guilford on the, on the uh, D3 uh, boys side is, is the favorite. Although St. Thomas, you know, gave him a game. And although I haven't seen him, I hear Mascoma has a terrific backcourt and they might be a team that could, uh, you know, surprise one of the top two. Um, not as familiar with the girls' side. I know D3 girls, uh, I think it's Conant and Concord Christian probably battle it out. And uh, I know Bo has, has been one of the top teams in uh, Division Two girls. Probably. So we should have, have some good action coming up. I would think so. I, I would think that Division Two boys tournament is really going to be interesting because uh, pretty much everybody who's going to be at home for the first round is is probably capable of winning it or certainly beating anybody. You know, they've all beaten each other during the regular season already. So I guess the best thing to do is uh, as we approach the playoffs and when we get to the playoffs, folks will have to go to the NHIA website and check out the little brackets that they put up. Uh, to see who's playing who, and of course, you'll have stuff in your column in the Union Leader. And they can they can catch up on it there too. Uh, the spring training for baseball spring is here. When the truck leaves Fenway Park with all that gear and all the bubble gum and seeds and all that other good stuff, um, they're going to be pitchers and catchers starting the season later this week as we speak. And I'm just curious, you guys have a, a good vibe for the upcoming season baseball season in general and and well i know where you're coming from roger or the red sox <laughs> and sam i guess you want to talk about the red sox in the two-minute drill so let's just talk about major league baseball predictions projections as we head into a, a new season sam the biggest thing again i'm really looking forward to the season uh for a couple of reasons um first of all i love the new schedule uh when they announced it uh a year ago that no longer are you going to play an unbalanced schedule. You're going to play a balanced schedule. The Red Sox are going to play every other team in the major league. We're not going to see the Baltimore Orioles 19 times. We're not going to see the Tampa Bay Rays 19 times. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to see the Yankees 19 times. But 19 times is too many times. Uh, so they only play those teams 13 games this season. But again, the Red Sox are going to are going to. You don't have to wait three or four years. To see the Cubs or the, oh, did I say Dodgers or the Dodgers? Uh, you're gonna be, you're not gonna uh, like that series. <laughs> or, or, or you know, you get to see, you get to see the Braves and people like that. So uh, I'm looking forward mm. to it. So I think that's great. The other big thing, the headline in baseball is 2023 is going to be the year of the rule change, the pitch clock, no shift, bigger bases. Oh my goodness, is this going to be crazy? Can you imagine for the first time a batter does not get into the batter box in time and the umpire says strike three? <laughs> That's going to be yeah. unbelievable. It's going to be interesting how that plays out. You're right. What about you, Roger? Predictions? That, that is my takeaway. The, I think they're just tinkering with the rule changes way too much. And you know, the shift thing really bothers me. You should be allowed to play your defense. However, if I want to put six guys in left field, use four outfielders, whatever I want to do, I should be allowed to do that. Um, I think the guy in charge doesn't know what he's doing, basically, you know, as a baseball guy. And I just, Sam, you're probably, you're probably up on this more than me, but I, I saw one today I didn't even know was a rule. 
and I don't know if it's for this season, but they're also regulating when you can use a position player to pitch. That's right. That's right. Last year, there was a, there was a major growth of non-position player, non-pitching players, position players pitching, and they don't want that to happen anymore. So they've banned that. And uh, again, so uh, uh, that is, that is going to be a change. Yeah. I just think they're tinkering too much. Um, You know, I I was going to say, Roger, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I think we were talking about this during the Super Bowl. Some friends were over. I said, what people don't realize until you've been involved with it, and Sam and I are, are get involved in it through the uh, UNH Wildcat games that we, we are at, and, and they're televised, that TV and, and media in particular control the flow of everything. If it's Absolutely. a televised game, they that Super Bowl is down to the second, the millisecond of who goes when, where it goes, if it's on, bang, bang, bang. And uh and same thing goes on the college level and, and obviously in the pro sports. And I think that is one thing they could address. I, I think uh, NASCAR is one of the first to try it, uh, the picture in picture. So they keep the action going on one side of the screen and then the ad plays on the, on the other side. Not, that's probably a good idea. Sure. Because I, I've noticed, and I've said for years, when I go to a game, it's, it seems to go much faster. Right. You know, if it's particularly, I do a lot of Fisher Cats games where they don't have those commercials and I understand they need the revenue. I get it. And yeah. That's probably not going to go away, but I, I do think they got to bend or, or that's, that's where the focus should be. Yeah. Figure out a way to eliminate the, the time that's just non action. And I think that's where they, the game can get shorter. Roger, I just want, I want to just push back a little bit on uh, your comment that you made about the shift and, and being able to play everybody where you want. Uh, I agree that, you know, that certainly is allows managers to be creative and things like that, but I'm going to lay this on the players. If the players had decided that they were going to learn how to beat the shift and put the ball in play to where they ain't, as they say, they would still have be able to shift, but the players are so stubborn because they know that the big bucks are on the home runs and they're swinging for the fences. So there's a dribbler to second base 75% of the time, then it's all on the players. If they had learned to beat the shift and bunt and hit the other way, it would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I never understood that part of it, Sam, when they left third base vacant. Um, But if we want quicker games, uh outs are good too you know you can make that strike oh yeah oh yeah let's have more strikeouts that's a lot of fun i just can't imagine somebody telling bill belichick hey bill you know you you can't play two linebackers on this side of the field you know like it takes the eliminate strategy really you know your two-minute drill sam we're on to the red Sox now i think the next six weeks opening day is march 30th at Fenway, Baltimore Orioles will be here. And barring any injury, Chris Sale will be on the mound uh, for the Red Sox on that day, uh, which I don't think will happen, but we'll see. But I'm just wishing that, and Roger, being a sports writer, you know, this is no knock at you, but I just want everybody in the media to just be realistic with me when they talk about the Red Sox in the preseason. I don't want them to tell me about, well, this is part of the big plan and Chaim Bloom is a genius and he's got this all figured out 
and we're waiting for Marcelo mayor in 2025 and all this other stuff. I just want them to give me the straight story of whether or not these players can play and whether or not they have a chance of actually being competitive. Used to be in the American League East, but you know now it's going to be across Major League Baseball. So I just want them to be realistic. Do the Red Sox have a chance of being at least a 500 team this year? That's all I want to know. Raj, two-minute drill time. I've, I've had the chance to go watch some UNH uh, men's basketball this year. And I'm not sure people know, but not only has UNH never won their conference tournament, they've never made it to the tournament championship game, which is extraordinary, I think. Um, But they're not bad this year. You know, they're not favorites. And I just, uh, I'd like to see them go far. Uh, Bill Herrian's a good guy, their head coach. And you know, I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could win their postseason tournament and generate a little excitement by, you know, making the field of 64 or 68 probably. And, um, you know, i just like to see them have some success here. Uh, Bill's getting late in his career, and, um, you know, he had to bring in pretty much a whole new team this year, 10 new guys, and it would create a little bit of a buzz around here, basketball buzz that we've never had. My two-minute drill. Uh, I want to congratulate Bill Taylor, Coach Came up not only with the uh, game-winning team for the Super Bowl, but he picked it by three. And and more importantly, his team, his team, Coach Tails and Company, won the Seacoast Forum Fantasy Football League this year. So there you go. The man did it. Congratulations. And bringing that up, I'm going to mention we're getting into the Fantasy Baseball League time. So if anybody wants to join us, send me uh, your Email to seacoastsportsforum at yahoo.com. That's seacoastsportsforum at yahoo.com. And we'd love to have you on. We got different uh, teams, different variations of scoring for fantasy baseball. So we'll, I'm sure one will be uh, to your liking. The other thing I want to mention is we have on the TV side of things um, on YouTube, Blue Hawk Media, and, and Exeter TV, our interview with Coach Bill Ball. We were lucky enough to for our hundredth edition of the TV show to sit down with coach ball and and get a good half hour interview with him. And if you're on any of those, make sure, especially YouTube like us and subscribe. So you can get the latest edition. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, spread the word. We, We need more listeners all the time. So on behalf of Roger Brown from the union leader and New Hampshire football report.com and New Hampshire hardball and Sam Bruno, this is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seco sports forum podcast.